Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. All right, guys, we inhabit a time and a place here in Denver, Colorado right now, winter of 2023, where our hope can literally be put wherever we decide we want it to be, right? Like, here's a few examples for you guys. We can put our hope in, like, our status, so looks, how we perform, what we accomplish. Uh, Like, the world we have grown up in has typically told us that you are worth more if you are pretty, you have great charisma, you have money, you can perform at a high level, like, i.e. Taylor Swift is a great example of this. Like, our world idolizes her, right? And I'm a Taylor Swift fan, so, like, I'm not dogging on the lady. But, like, even my parents, who were in their 70s, went and saw her documentary. Like, they're like, we need to check out what she is about. Like, that is how high her status is. And so we put our hope in in this idea of, like, man, how can I become greater? How can I elevate myself? Like, how can I get my status up? Another thing we might put our hope in is, like, materialism, shopping, getting more. Any, like, Black Friday, Cyber Monday people out there? No one? Cool. Uh, That's good because you would be part of the problem if that was you. I'm kidding a little bit. Um, But there is a part of us that will put our hope in the feeling we get when we buy something new, right? And we're longing for like this package we ordered from Amazon to show up at our doorstep. And then we have this rush of dopamine for like the first five minutes right after we open the package. And then right after that five minutes, we're thinking about the next thing to buy on our list. So it's like this endless cycle of little hopes, like what's the next best thing? Here, especially in Colorado, we sometimes will put our hopes in like experiences, like doing cooler or more extreme things than that person over there. Uh, Kind of a major conversation topic for Colorado people is like, hey, what ski pass are you getting this year? And then once ski season has ended and then it's springtime, the conversation shifts to, well, how many days on the slopes did you get? And it's like, I'm like, I don't know, like 19 or something like that. And someone's like, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> Better look next year. You know, they're like, I got 75. <laughs> and so it's just like this badge of honor that we kind of put our hope in. It's like, hey, what can I experience so that I can feel alive and feel good? This one's one of my favorites. I've, uh, some of us put our hopes in sports. Um, <laughs> I, for one, think this is a little bit ridiculous just because I struggle with it sometimes. Um, but for me, my hope is in whether or not the Ohio State University can beat Michigan like they did not yesterday. And so my hope is crushed today. <laughs> but for some of us, your hope is in like whether or not Coach Prime can like revitalize the buffs and bring them back to glory. Or maybe you're hoping that Auburn can beat Alabama. I wrote that before they lost yesterday. Sorry if that's too soon. Or even you hope that Vandy can just get one win this year. Some of us so often put our hope in sports. We also put our hope in others, right? Being with friends and family for the holidays, like decorating, eating, all these good things, enjoying time together. Some of us look forward to this like all year long and putting our hope in other people in these times we get to spend with them. 
what I'm describing here, these aren't inherently bad things, minus you Auburn people, like you might want to just stop that, that's tough. <laughs> They're just inherently things that will let you down if your true and full hope is in them. They're self-centered hopes, where you are the main character, where your happiness, your fulfillment is at the center. All of these revolve around me, around you, around what we get. So these in and of themselves are false hopes. These are hopes that will never leave us feeling satisfied. And because these things can never satisfy, putting too much of our hope in these things will breed discontentment in our lives. And discontentment snuffs out true hope, just extinguishes it. But what we're talking about today in the first chapter of Luke is a piece of the story of how our one true hope <clears throat> as Christians came to be what it is today. So the setting of our passage today takes place in the ancient Near East in a time when the Israelites would have been awaiting the coming of the Messiah, a savior who would save them from their current situation. So up to this point, the narrative of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, has had a multitude of themes ranging from being oppressed, think like slaves in Egypt, to wandering in the wilderness, to having their own Israelite kings ruling over them, some good, some bad. And so while all these scenarios, aside from when they have a good and righteous king ruling them, which wasn't very often, they never truly have this feeling of being content and at home. So then around the time of the birth of Jesus, the lands that the Israelites lived in were occupied and ruled by the Roman Empire. So again, the Israelites, God's chosen people, don't have a feeling of being content and at home in the land where they're living, ruled by this Roman Empire. Now, I won't get into what living under Roman rule would have looked like for the Israelites, but in short, it's not what they wanted. They longed for something better because they had been promised something better. The Israelites, at, the Israelites at this time would have known and clung to the words of Scripture, what we now call the Old Testament, words such as 2 Samuel 7, 12 to 14. And here God is saying this to King David. He says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. So as they face day after day, month after month, year after year, under the oppressive rule of the Romans, you have to imagine they are pleading to God to fulfill this prophecy from Scripture. You have to imagine they are putting their hope in this king who was promised to come, whose throne will be established forever, whose rule there will be no end to. Like, this sounds amazing, right? Israel actually hoped for a Messiah, though, that would be this, like, powerful king and military leader who would come in and by his power and might rescue them from the oppression of their current ruler. I just watched uh, this movie Mad Max with a friend uh, a few days ago, and uh, I don't know the title of this guy that I'm about to describe, but it's, like, this guy, the city they're in, like, they revere him, and he's this, like, massive, strong intimidating military leader, and he has, like, this wild, like, intimidating mask, this crazy armor, 
And I think this is more so what the Israelites were probably imagining for their Savior. Like, they were hoping for someone strong and mighty and impressive. But what they hoped for wasn't exactly what came to be. If you look at Isaiah 53 with me, you'll see what was actually going to happen to their Savior and King. Isaiah 53, 7 through 9 reads, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. They wanted a savior unlike them. They wanted a savior who was strong and mighty and impressive, who could overthrow their oppressors. But what they got was a savior who appeared to be more like themselves, oppressed, afflicted, as the scripture says, and even one who appeared to be weaker than them. They weren't expecting their Messiah, their Savior, to come to them as a baby born to a carpenter and his wife. They had hope for a Savior, but their expectations of who or what their Savior would be were just a little bit off the mark. Like, does this sound familiar at all to us? Is our hope for what will save us ever off the mark? This is more of of kind of a self-centered hope for Israel, right? If this happened, this military leader, savior that they wanted, then the current Israelite people of the time could definitely be rescued from their immediate situation, which was oppression by the Roman Empire. But God's actual plan isn't focused solely on rescuing the Israelites, but on rescuing all of humanity. And for this job of saving all of humanity, God appoints a lowly and humble Savior who is willing to sacrifice everything for us. And that's better than a mighty military leader. I mean, God works in mysterious ways, doesn't he? Like appointing his own son and making him a lowly and humble Savior to rescue us. But also, in our story today, using a lowly and humble woman named Mary to make it happen. Mary, in our passage today, would also have had certain hopes for the coming Messiah, the Savior of her people. But we see that she chooses to be content with God's plan instead of whatever her own plan may have been. Now, I can't say where Mary was in terms of her expectations about the Savior of her people, but what I can say is that the hopes and plans of her life changed drastically after the events in our passage today. Follow along with me in verse 30 from uh, what Blair read today. Luke chapter 1, and the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I honestly just love that the angel starts off with saying, like, do not be afraid, because Mary has good reason to be afraid, right? I think it's for some obvious reasons. For one, an angel has just appeared to her, and I've never had that happen to me, but I imagine if it did, I would need, like, a change in clothes afterwards. (laughs) Secondly, 
She has just been told she will be entrusted with carrying the Savior of the world in her body, which seems a little bit wild. Thirdly, she has also been told she is about to conceive the Son of God through the Holy Spirit coming upon her. Now, I haven't had the privilege of hearing any other stories about this happening to people, so I don't know this for sure. But I can guess that this would be a fairly weird and somewhat, like, frightening thing to have happen to you. And also, not to mention, like, the text tells us that she's betrothed or engaged to Joseph, which means uh, there's also some, some, probably some fear about, I don't know, maybe what Joseph will think or say about this, or what her community might think or say about this. Will they think I cheated on Joe? Will they think I'm a crazy person? Will, they th- will I be cast out by them? Will they hate me forever? Like, I think these would be fair questions to ask yourself in this moment if you're married. But we see that even through the cloud of fears that may have existed in that moment for Mary, this is how she responds in verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So Mary may not have been expecting this, but she still knows her rightful place. She is to be a servant of the Lord. So Mary is lowering herself, putting her plans and expectations on the back burner so that she can elevate God and his good plan to center stage. She's thinking of herself less, and instead she's thinking about the Messiah, the Savior of the world, coming into the world to fulfill his calling. Like, this is is the humility that Josh was talking about last week, right? Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Hope in Jesus is a selfless hope. Mary is a great example of this here. She says, let it be according to your will, Lord. She's removing her own will and desires from the equation. She's letting Jesus be central and not herself. So in the equation of true hope, there can only be one thing at the center. There cannot be multiple things. Like, this may be a stupid example, but if you took, like, a wheel, and you know how wheels only have one bearing in the middle? If you took a wheel and tried to put two bearings in the middle, they would offset each other, so then neither would be in the center, and that would be a bad wheel, right? It wouldn't roll right. That's the same here. You can't have multiple things in the center. Mary chose to be selfless and to put God at center stage. She's an example for us of how we are to lower ourselves, our own desires, our own wants, our own needs, so that we may elevate Jesus and find our true hope in him. My hope this Advent season is that we would take our eyes off of ourselves and focus on Jesus. Like he is deserving of our full attention. He is deserving of our full worship. He is deserving of our full selves. Here is another reminder of why we can and should put our hope in Jesus. From our passage today, verse 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. 
of his kingdom, there will be no end. Like, that's what I want to put my hope in. And another reminder of, of why we put our hope in Jesus. This one's from Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. It reads, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We must focus on Jesus and what he has done for us. And so how do we do this? How do we cultivate hope in Jesus this Advent season? Let's not look too far ahead. Let's think about this season right now. How do we cultivate hope in Jesus this Advent season so that we can become a more hopeful people in a hopeful church? Well, just like Mary did, embrace selflessness. Shift your gaze from yourself to Jesus and his finished work on the cross on our behalf. What did Isaiah just say? He said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And still, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So without first saying that we ourselves are lesser than Jesus and in need of saving, we will be unable to shift our gaze to him. We will be unable to find true hope in Jesus. So shift your gaze from yourself to Jesus this Advent season. Now, it's already so easy to get caught up in your own struggles, worries, fears this season, and then add on top of that, like, the busyness of what the holidays bring. And so with all those things combined, before we know it, like, Advent has flown by. We haven't taken the time to remember what Jesus has done for us. We haven't taken the time to slow down and so that's my second application for us today. Slow down this Advent season. That's it. Slow down. Like, decide today that you will make a conscious effort to not rush and to instead slow down. Like, do you think Mary was rushing the angel of the Lord during this, this passage, being like, hey, chop, chop. Like, I got to go get some water from the well before my 3 o'clock pickleball meetup. No. She's like, I'm here for it. I'm your servant, Lord. Like, whatever it takes. Slow down. A practical step in slowing down could be something as simple as taking like five minutes when you wake up in the morning, keep that phone away, sit in silence, use that five minutes of silence to give thanks to Jesus uh, for what he's done for you. Or you could take two minutes, if you don't have five in the morning, take two minutes before you eat a meal and simply think about and remember all that Jesus has done for you. Now slow down with me right now. Let's put this into practice. And shift your gaze from yourself to Jesus right in this moment. I'm going to read uh, from one of my favorite hymns, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. So take a deep breath. I'm not trying to get weird on you, but just slow down. 
and listen to these powerful words. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. It's so good. So may this Advent season be a time where we slow down to remember what our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, accomplished for us by coming to this earth in human form and then sacrificing himself on the cross in our place. Like, may this not just be something we half-heartedly believe and give some of our life to, but may this be, may this hope in Jesus continually take over our heart, our soul, our mind, entire lives. May this Advent season be the spark that we as individuals and we as a church need to become a more hopeful people. Would you guys pray with me? Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.